The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Oftentimes in this life, we encounter complex and unexpected problems, don't we? We assume that these complex problems require complex solutions and answers. So we go to the wise sages of this world to give us these complex answers that we're looking for, the only people who are able to give us such complex answers. For instance, I once had a conversation with Pastor Arp about how the church is facing a problem these days that we preach a moralized anthropology, a platonized eschatology, and a paganized soteriology. And if any of you know what that means, please send me an email. I'd be glad to hear your take on it. Pastor Sam, on occasion, has unpacked for me the genitive form of the participle in Greek that totally changes the meaning of something that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. This week, it was actually Latin that he talked to me about. Pastors Tig and Brian have dropped hidden secret knowledge that they've learned through their grappling with cancer and addiction that I would have probably never been able to come to on my own. And Pastor John, on many occasions, has unpacked the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers in a way that was very thought-provoking. Why have I told you all of this? Well, there's really two main takeaways from those stories. The first you've probably come to the conclusion yourself is that everybody on this staff is smarter than I am by a long shot. And the second thing is that if you ask a human being for a solution or an answer to a complex problem, you are going to get a complex answer. Luckily, our Lord does not ask complex answers of us. In the first chapter of Luke, we find two people in a very similar situation. One is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and the other is Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Both are appeared to by an angel named Gabriel, and each has a very different answer when they are told that they are going to receive a little baby boy from the Lord. Now, I'll unpack the greater meaning behind their answers and what they mean for our role in God's salvation plan for us. Zechariah answered with the words, How can I be sure? My wife and I are really old. And Mary answered, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. We'll start with Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest in the temple around the time that Jesus was born. And he is said to be an upright man who keeps the law blamelessly, a righteous man who follows all that God says to do. He was a fellow kinsman with us preachers as one who ministers God's word. However, that's more of an indictment than it is a brag by the time you get to the end of his story. So Zechariah is elected to go into the Holy of Holies through the casting of lots, and he goes in there to offer a sacrifice to Yahweh. And while he's in there, the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him, that even though he and his wife have been barren their whole married life and that they're very old now, they are actually going to get a little baby boy from the Lord. This boy is going to be named John, and he is going to have a specific purpose. He is going to prepare the way for our Lord. Now, Zechariah hears these words, and he basically responds back to the angel saying, are you sure about that? My wife and I are like really old. He essentially assumes that a shining white being floating in the middle of a room sent by God is unaware of the changes that a woman's body goes through at a certain age. The word to the wise guys, if you ever encounter a floating white being in the middle of a room sent by God, assume they know more than you do. It's a pretty safe bet. But Zechariah, you see, he suffers from a chronic syndrome that affects about half the people in this room. He has a syndrome that I like to call being a guy. Zechariah, even though he is a faithful believer in God, and by the account of the gospel, Luke is a man who keeps the law blamelessly and is righteous in all that he does, he still can't seem to get out of his own way on this one, can he? For Zechariah, there is just no way that his old wife, who's barren, has never had a son, and his old self could possibly conceive a child. And he tells the messenger of the Most High God just as much. You know, he almost engages the words of Gabriel as if they're a problem that he needs to solve. I can almost imagine him sitting in the Holy of Holies, hearing these words, and thinking to himself, That's not really how things work down here, but I'm sure between the two of us, we can find a workable solution, Gabriel. We're both smart guys, you an angel, me a priest. I bet we can come up with something that'll work. And don't we all suffer from that same delusion? Don't we often complicate our role in salvation? Do we ever read the Word of God and think to ourselves, eh, that's not really something God would do. Let's, let's change that and put it another way. Do we ever make our actions the most important part of our faith? I go to church. I volunteer. 
I'm raising my kids to be good people. The list goes on and on. We assume that we have any kind of a say or any kind of control over God's plan for us or for our salvation. So when we encounter one of these complex and unexpected problems, we immediately try to outthink it. It's our first reaction. How can I outthink this for myself? And how can I overcome this complex problem for me? Interestingly enough, God strikes Zechariah with silence for his unbelief that God could and would send him a child. And it seems like a punishment at the time to be struck with silence, but the truth is, is that this is really more of a blessing for Zechariah because it allows him to be quiet and just get out of his own way and allow God's will to be done despite him fighting it. I, I bet if you asked my wife, there are many times in her life where she would say that my silence is a blessing and not a punishment to her. And you men would do well to remember that as well. Ultimately, what happens? Well, God's word is perfectly fulfilled, just as Gabriel says it would be. Zechariah and Elizabeth conceive a child. He is named John, and he prepares the way of our Lord. Now, let's go to Mary. As I prepared this sermon this week, I wanted to get into the headspace of Mary just a little bit. I know that this isn't possible because I'm a guy and she's also the only woman who's gone through this particular situation, but I knew a way that I could get close-ish. So I texted my sister-in-law, who's currently six months pregnant, and I asked her the question, how would you feel if somebody told you that when you're nine months pregnant, you need to ride on the back of a donkey from the top of Israel down to near the bottom of Israel. Being a woman of great wit, I knew she would either deliver a poignant answer that really opened up this reading for me spiritually and allowed me to see it through a different light, or she would send a clever retort back that would just make me laugh. She chose the latter. She said she would ask Joseph if their credit card points would cover an upgrade in seating for her. <laughs> Otherwise, they would need to leave early to account for all the potty breaks that she would need along the way. Having now gotten into the proper headspace, let's contrast Zachariah's response with Mary's situation. Mary is an unwed virgin who is betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph. And as you heard in the reading this morning, she is also appeared to by the angel Gabriel and told that she will have a son as well. But you see, things are a little more complicated for Mary than they were for Zechariah. If Mary is found to be pregnant as an unwed woman, she would never be allowed to marry Joseph or anybody else. If Mary's found to be pregnant, she could be thrown out of her family, disowned. She could be thrown out of the temple and not allowed to do the religious rites anymore. And she could even be stoned to death for this sin of having a child outside of wedlock. So, worst case scenario, she gets publicly executed by strangers. And best case scenario, she's publicly humiliated and is never allowed to provide for herself or 
her baby. If anything, she's the one that should be asking for a clever workaround or a complex solution to her problem. Couldn't there be another woman that God could ask? Couldn't God just wait a few months for her to get married and then nobody would ask any questions if she got pregnant? No. No, she says something altogether different and altogether God-pleasing. She says the words, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Such a beautiful response that encapsulates our role in salvation. Yes, Lord. Amen. God's plan for salvation is perfect. And thank God it does not rely on our knowledge or our complex and cleverly contrived solutions. All God asks of us is a humble, yes, Lord, let your will be done. And guess what? It is always infinitely better than whatever we could have come up with. It is always so much better than our complex plans. God asks us to believe in his will, not because he's evil or controlling or fears that will leave him. No, he does it. He asks us to, to submit because it is always a blessing to us. His plan, no matter what it involves, always is a blessing to us. So what does this mean for your life and your complex problems? Well, learn from Mary's example. Believe that God is working all things to your good, even in obviously perilous situations. Mary believed the word of Gabriel, and for it she received eternal life, along with the rest of us who believe in her son's name and his holy, holy work. Mary believed, and you should believe as well. It certainly won't be easy always. Submitting to God's plan can be very, very tough at times, and you need not look any further than the rest of Mary's life as evidence. Joseph nearly leaves her until God intercedes. She's forced to ride on the back of a donkey the length of the country that she lives in while she's nine months pregnant. She's forced to give birth in a cave next to stinking animals. Herod tries to kill her and her son, and she's forced to flee to Egypt for the first three years of her son's life. She has to witness the death of her firstborn child for crimes that he didn't commit, a blameless and upright man, punished and killed for nothing he did. Some of you are having a brutal year. And this could be a brutal Christmas for you. Some of you will go home to empty beds and empty homes. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you are going through a divorce or the loss of a child or any number of personal and family tragedies. And you just feel crushed this Christmas. Mary is evidence that even though God has chosen you to be a part of His family, that even though God loves you, and even though God has granted you eternal life, that sometimes this temporal life really just hurts. But there is hope. 
Jesus also had a point in his life where even though he knew he was chosen by God and loved by God, that he was still having a very difficult time. As he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night in which he was betrayed, he stayed up all night preaching, uh, praying, sorry. All night he stayed up praying, praying that the cup of wrath that he was about to have to take would pass away from him, that God would find another way, praying that God would not allow him to die a horrible and painful death, that all of this would pass. But at the end of his prayer, you could see the same faithfulness from God that his mother Mary had when he prayed the words, not my will be done, Father, but yours. Not my will be done, Father, but yours. For all those times that you have sought to fix your own salvation problems, Christ submitted. For all those times that you've doubted God's plan for you and that God can save you or get you out of whatever crisis you're in, Christ trusted. For all those wounds that you have endured this past year, wounds that are both physical and emotional, wounds that are only all the more poignant on this Christmas holiday. Christ was wounded. And by His wounds, you are healed. And by His submission, you have overcome the complex problems of our world. Our God knows you. And He knows your struggles. He knows your pains. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows all the things that you struggle with that particular breed of sin that just keeps nagging at you every day and the guilt that it causes within you. He even knows those who have hurt you. And he has put an end to all of them with the simple words, not my will be done, Father, but yours. With those words, Jesus set the world right again. And with those words, your temporal and eternal life is also made right again every day, every day. Submit to God's will for you. Because from the very beginning, His divine plan has been an epic love story in pursuit of specifically each one of you. And it crescendoed in the life and work of Jesus Christ, who came to be born amongst us and to die our death and rise again to grant us eternal life. Amen.